Hi, this is Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey everybody, I'm HF Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. Well, today we are so honored to have Andrea Brooks. Andrea, would you tell us a little bit about uh, where do you work at? What is your role? And then in addition to that, I know that you hold a, a, a national uh, leadership role. If you tell us a little bit about that also. Sure. Well, thank you. First, I would just want to thank you guys um, for having me on today. I'm really excited to share my journey and my passion with you all. Um, so, as you said, Andrea Brooks, I am the Director of Clinical Performance Improvement for MedStar Health System, and we're located in the East Coast um, area, uh, Maryland, Virginia, D.C. area. We have 10 hospitals and over 200 ambulatory clinics that um, I have oversight over. And um, so nationally, I do. I um, Clinically, I'm an emergency nurse practitioner, um, and I hold the title of the president of the American Academy of Emergency Nurse Practitioners, so the, the organization representing the voice of nurse practitioners practicing in emergency care settings. That's great, Andrea. Um, before we get to uh, talking about healthcare and quality improvement, I know I know that you're in Baltimore and you're at the beach, and, and I got to <laughs> know, is it, are, are the crabs in season right now, or is it they are, and I had the best crab cake last night. Um, it okay. is, they are, they are in season. We are you know, we back. have crawfish down here and, and I, you know, and this is, this is our, we call them crawdads down here in the South. Uh -huh. uh, you know, we're right in the middle of crawfish season. So I, I wondered if they, they paralleled. I'm not, I'm not too proficient at eating, at eating crabs, but I, I can really eat a lot of, a lot of crawfish. Uh-huh. That's why I said crab cake. I can't, I'm originally from Kansas. I will admit, I love my steak, but um, I've been in, in on the East Coast now for 15 years, so I haven't quite learned how to pick a crab, but I'll eat a crab cake, though. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we bring um, you to the South now. We're going to have to take you out and feed you some etouffee. Okay. Little, little crawfish etouffee. We can do that. Uh, Andrea, when we, uh, when we have providers on the, on the show, whether it's uh, APPs or physicians, we always like to hear about how they got into continuous improvement. And as I've said many times on this podcast before, most of us, when we go into healthcare, we didn't think that down the road, we would be having administrative roles in, in quality improvement. Uh, tell us a little bit how, how you got to where you are. Sure, sure. Um, you know, early on in my journey as an emergency provider, I recognized that a lot of the things that frustrated me the most about the care delivery or, or just frustrated me in general about my job were either performance problems or, or process problems um, that were really beyond my clinical reach. And about the fifth time we had a consultant come through to tell us how to um, how we could improve our throughput through the emergency department. I went to my CMO and said, look, these guys come in and they borrow my watch and tell me how to tell me what time it is. Like, can, why don't we train our, our internal team here? So um, he said, you know what? I'll take you up on it. Let's try. So um, that he believed in me and we started to a uh, process of learning about, you know, uh, performance improvement methodologies, got trained in Lean Six Sigma. And then um, eventually I took on a dual role as a um, clinician part time, 20% um, clinical and then 80% um, really working on process improvement and building our internal team um, of, of process improvement consultants within our organization. and. 
from there, that's just where I developed the passion. Um, I ended up going back to get my doctorate. I went back again to get my MBA just so I could understand the business side and the finance side. And really my true passion is connecting that, um, the clinical side of me medicine with the business of healthcare and understanding that total continuum of, of what that looks like. So that's kind of how I started my journey. And then here I am 15 years later. Yeah, it's very interesting how you, you, you say you like the connection between the clinical side and the finance side. And for many, many years, I thought that those were two separate things and they were totally interrelated. You had your bean counters over here and you had us physicians over here and there was, you know, you, you guys do your job and let us do do our job. But but you, you realize now how how integrated and how dependent one is on the other. Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. Um, you, you talked about, uh, you were trained in lean six Sigma and whatnot. Um, what at, uh, at MedStar health, what methods of improvement do you guys use? You know, I know there are a lot of tools out there and, and, and we all like the newest and greatest shiny tool that you use, but, but I would be interested in, in, in hearing what, what you guys use. Cause here we use a lot of Kata, we use a three thinking. Mm -hmm. And uh, we use a lot of PDSA, but, uh, I will tell you all of the above. So we like the new shiny tools, but then we have that old rusty toolkit also. And at MedStar, we um, have our system that we call the smart smart methodology. So it's scope, analyze, or scope, measure, analyze, rethink, and track. So it kind of follows that DeBaic model. But in that, it's really just a toolkit of a lot of different tools that as you move through the, through the process of a project or an engagement, um, that, okay, if I'm in the scoping phase, I want to understand what is the problem? I want to understand, you know, what are we trying to, what are the goals? Who are the stakeholders? Things like that. So we use so many different tools um, and we even develop new tools to use in our toolbox um, that, that really help us. So there's not one prescriptive method or model that we, we stick to. Um, we just really bring the best thinking of that we can think of and put that into our smart methodology. Um, so that's not a very prescriptive answer, but, but really, Anything that that is um, any tool or any framework or any theory, any model that someone brings to the table that we think, you know what, this might help us in understanding how we get to the solution or the goal. We'll, we'll try it. Under no, that, that's a great answer. And and one thing I'd be <clears throat> interested in hearing how you do things. And I think. Any healthcare system or any hospital. One of the, the obstacles that we face is trying to engage everybody in in healthcare and quality improvement and continuous improvement you know from the c-suite all the way down to the the evs worker or the or the frontline uh, workers and tell tell me a little bit about how you guys go about trying to get everybody involved in that process absolutely i think Honestly, I think that's one of the most important things is is making sure that you have the appropriate stakeholders and everybody that needs to be involved. And the way that we do that really is just relationship and immersion into the culture. So if I'm, you know, I told you my background's emergency medicine, but a lot of the projects that I've done have been in, I mean, many other areas. So what I like to do is just go there, start to build the relationships, ask the questions, really immerse myself in what that culture is, what that work looks like. And then when I'm building those relationships, then people become more interested in, in um, helping or, or understanding that I'm really there to help them. Um, 
if you don't do that and you go on the floor and you're like, hi, I'm from performance improvement and I'm here to help you fix your problems, they're not really open and welcome. So when you frame it and couch it in the, you know, hey, I'm here to help you. What do you what do you do really well? What do you think you could do better? And just build those relationships um, and just keep asking those questions. That's how we really look to engage the stakeholders. And then we also look at, um, you know, who who maybe is outside the box that we could bring in to help us challenge how we're thinking, or we call it the pizza guy. So we're gonna bring in the pizza guy who doesn't know anything about healthcare and have him ask us questions to really challenge us to, to think differently. So um, that's what I would, those are some of the strategies we use is just that cultural immersion and understanding and building those relationships to identify who those key stakeholders really are um, in, in our engagements. Okay, so, so Andrew, you, um, let me ask you, let me ask you this, how do you think about, you know, what, talking to Dr. Matt Pollard from Intermountain and talking to a lot of our friends from across the, the nation, uh, one of the things that is pretty consistent is that the providers, the physicians and, and the APNs, they can really be an obstacle to improvement, you know, whether they're intentionally trying to do that or not. And so how, how do you think about how to engage them, how to get them involved? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? What's went well? What are you still trying to figure out? It's funny that you ask that because I think about, you know, to about 15 years ago when I was sitting on that side and those consultants were coming in to tell me, well, if you just do this in triage, then you'd be able to. So um, I remember how I felt like you don't know anything about me. You don't know anything about what we do you can't even spell emergency medicine and you're trying to tell me you had. So I think about those, you know, how I felt. And I understand that when I'm now showing up on a floor that they may feel the same way. So trying to connect with them in, in a way that um, is non-threatening and authentic and really, you know, um, Dr. Mason and I were talking about this earlier. I still practice clinically, so I can relate to, to what they're going through generally um, because I'm not, I'm willing, they see that I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and get dirty and get in there with them. So it's not somebody who, you know, who's sitting behind a desk in, you know, on the, on the eighth floor is coming down to tell you what you need to do, but somebody who really gets it and understands. And so I think that um, empathy, I think that really um, the vulnerability of, you know, hey, I don't know anything about your world. Tell me about your world. I have some thinking that may be able to, to help you, but I'd love to understand what you think. Um, but, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's hard because there is that wall that's built up. And, and a lot of times I think it's, it's that disconnect between, again, the clinical side of medicine and the business of healthcare. And they're, they're not recognizing that bigger picture that really they are interrelated. So being able to connect those dots for them and really help them understand how it's interrelated and why, you know, why finance is, is concerned about, you know, the productivity and why, you know, and how all the little nuances um, and really then also thinking about what's the what's the what's in it for them you know what's what's how do i help convey to them how i can help them or how changing this process can benefit them um so those are some of the strategies but it's it's still a struggle it's still a struggle and i'll have to honestly admit it's it's the the toughest teams that i've had to deal with are surgeons and emergency physicians oh, I, can, I can believe it <laughs> I can believe it, and I think if Skip, I mean, if if Jake was on today, he would uh, he would certainly have some uh, some comments from the peanut gallery for sure. So, what about uh, you know, Andrea? What about uh, one of the areas that we need for ourselves to improve on 
is we need to continue to improve what we call our idea generation efforts. And I, I don't necessarily mean the wooden box with the lock on it. I mean, you know, just giving everybody a voice, giving everyone a voice from the doctor to the APN to the uh, EVS person that's working on midnight on Saturday night. You know, how do we give them a voice to say, I have an idea? Or as Steven Spear from MIT says, you know, do you want to just reduce the stink in your day? So it may not necessarily be an idea that's gonna increase the throughput in the ER, but you know, it might be an idea that it's bugging them, right? Have you, have you had much success there? And where is your organization in that arena? Yeah, um, you know, I think this is a really important question. And I think the first thing that you have to do in encouraging and pulling out, the, out those great ideas is to create a safe space for them to talk about why that idea even came about because let's let's be honest in healthcare a lot of times we don't um respond until that we're very reactive we don't respond until there's a problem that has happened and if we're not talking about the problem then we're not going to understand the ideas or the potential solutions that come out of it so really promoting a just culture really pro promoting a non-punitive response to error. So if something happens, how do we talk about it as not a who did it, who's responsible for it, but let's talk about the the people, the process, the technology, why did this happen and how do we how do we then generate ideas and solutions from that? So creating that safe space first is really important so that when somebody shares an idea that maybe is birthed from a mistake or a problem or a near miss, that we um, we embrace it in in that manner and not that punitive approach, um, and then really just you know rounding. We have we have rounding. We have interdisciplinary huddles. We have daily management systems with tiered huddles where anyone can come and speak up or bring an idea, no matter how big or how small. Um, we have different ways that we triage those. So it can if it's an idea of, of a new technology or a new system or a new gadget or something, we have a team called it's MedStar Innovations, or we call it Minovations, where that new innovation can be sent to that team to evaluate and, and they may help us bring that to life. So um, creating a safe space and then providing the space and time for those ideas to be shared or to be brought forward, I think is really important. And then the third piece to that that is super important is the follow up. Nobody wants to continue to bring you ideas if they don't feel like they're being heard. So how are we then taking what we're being given and triaging that to the appropriate place and then responding um, to that that idea or, or that potential solution, I think are three key elements. That's great. Um... I would really, I'm really interested in hearing about y'all's uh, continuous improvement maturity model. And, you know, as we talk about engagement, uh, I, I was looking at some of the information you sent and it looks like it's broken down into different levels. And then there are certain criteria at this level. Are, are these, well, go ahead and tell us a little bit about it. And then I'd like to ask you a few questions. Sure. So where this uh, stemmed from is we were asked by um, some of our leaders in the periop world about um, coming in to help them on their their journey to continuous improvement. So that more of a proactive approach to problem solving rather that, you know, reactive um, approach to, you know, we wait until something happens and then we respond. And our team got together. And when I talk about our team, we have a team of 22 individuals with a variety of different backgrounds. We have data scientists, we have engineers, we have clinicians like myself. We have so many different perspectives at the table to kind of view this 
through a different lens and really help to come up with how we strategize. Once again, so, Skip, you need, I'm sorry, you, you need more FTEs. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, interrupt. we're very lucky to have to have that. I will tell you, we are very lucky, but there is no short supply of work either. Um, so what we what we thought about is, you know, what does it look like? What does that journey to continuous improvement look like? What is best in class? When somebody's doing it really well, what does that look like? And then we thought, you know what? We need to create a maturity model and an assessment that'll help us to go in and understand kind of where is the foundation? Where, where are they at right now? Um, so a group of very um, talented individuals got together and we came up with our culture of continuous improvement maturity model and assessment where we look at five different, um, there's five different kind of themes that we look at or principles. The first is strategic alignment. So what's the process of aligning business resources um, and, and aligning them toward the common goal of the organization? The next piece is the associate leadership and engagement piece. And that's really what's the, the active presence of the leaders and how do they influence the followers? How are associates engaged in, um, you know, in problem solving? Um, then we have the data-driven decision-making. So how do we get our data? What does it look like? How do we not only just pull that data, but how do we act on that data? Um, then the process improvement. Um, what is the ability of the organization to continuously approve their business operations? Um, and then the last bucket that we look at or, or principle is the situational awareness and communication. So this is our interdisciplinary um, rounding, the huddle structures, what's our daily management, how are we organized um, to communicate and, and to promote awareness across the system. So those are kind of the principles that we looked at. And then we walked through and said, okay, what's best in class? That would be our what we've classified as level five. And then um, we walked that all the way to level one, which is kind of our foundational level. Level two is our capable. Level three is our proficient in these. And then level four is proactive. And then again, level five is best in class. So we just kind of thought about what do teams look like who do this well? And then um, created, for our put our best thinking around how we feel that um, you as you mature, um, you, the systems and the structures that you would have in place. So that's what that maturity model looks like. And what we do when we go in and do this assessment, um, we go in first, like I said, the most important thing is that cultural immersion. So we don't do anything for the first 30, 60 days. We just go in and build relationships and just try to understand. Then once we've built those relationships and kind of grease the wheels for people to actually talk to us about what's going on, we start to ask questions about each under those kind of five principles to understand where are they at as an organization. Um, also, we have the leaders of that organization kind of figure out where they think they are on the maturity model. And something that's been very enlightening is to see where the leaders perceive that they are. And then when our team comes back with our assessment of where they think they are, what that gap looks like, um, and then how we close those gaps. Um, after we do that assessment, after we've, we've um, you know, been working with the teams to understand where they are on that maturity model, we then develop an action plan to, okay, this is what we think it's going to take to get you to best in class, and here's the roadmap of how we'll partner with you through that. That's very interesting, and I think Skip and I are probably thinking about the same thing. We, we, have, we have our own Baptist management system, and we have some, we call them BMS ambassadors or BMS assessors. And and we will go around now we're doing it virtually, but we would go around to individual hospitals and assess them how they were applying 
the uh, the Baptist management system in their organization. But so it, in your model, is this applied to departments or or clinics or both or individuals? Anywhere. Or? Yeah. Okay. We wanted to create a tool that we could utilize anywhere. So if somebody from pharmacy said, hey, come and work with my team, we could do that. Or like I said, we just acquired 19 new urgent care sites. So if they want us to go out to the now 33 urgent care sites and say, where are we at here? How could we leverage this tool in, you know, across multiple sites or just one department, one team? Um, so the tool is flexible to use in a men in many, many different ways. And, and it seems like to me, this would be a very good way to, to get people engaged. You know, we, we are all competitive mm -hmm. and you know, if you said, gosh, dog, we're a. We're a level 1 and we would like to be a level 5 or, you know, the level 5s are saying we don't want to hang out with the level 2s and, you know, so right. everybody's wanting to get better. And it's it, yeah, it, exactly. And it also is a tangible way. So, the, like, when you look at it there, it's not like. When you look at the model, there's not things on there that are just kind of like, you know. Conceptual ideas. These are tangible things. Like, do you have this system in place? Do you have this? Do you operate this way? So it, it it's it feels like you can take small bites to move. So to go to a two to a three, this is what we need to put in place. To go from a three to a five, this is what we need to put in place. Um, so it it feels doable. It feels like you can touch it and feel it and see it. It's not conceptual or fluffy. There there's an actual model and a roadmap that I've found, um, especially when working with clinicians, really is as beneficial because I can tell you this is the path and this is how we get there. Um, so we we found it helpful. And you know, um a lot of people, I think I mentioned this earlier, a lot of people talk about um what they're doing and you know we're we're assessing, but but we don't really share tools very well with each other. So I think this is, you know, talking about the how are we doing it um, is really important. So um, that's why I'm really glad to be talking about the model today with you guys, because I think we need to start sharing how are we doing things so that we can all grow as a healthcare as a whole as a whole. And, and how long how long have y'all been doing this? And, and I, is it working out well? And I can tell you, we, um, the draft of this started in January. We okay. deployed the 1st team in March and we have finished the 1st assessment. We've had great um, feedback from the leadership and from the stakeholders that we've engaged with. And we have uh, just recently finished the roadmap of what that journey looks like. I can tell you the 1st um, site we assessed was at a 2 on this on the journey. The second site was kind of a two and a half, a three, um, and everyone was very receptive. They they were um, excited about the assessment and what the path forward looked like. So um, it's been really received really, really well. And I think part of that is because it is tangible. It's doable. Like I can see where the finish line is and I know how to get there. Um, so it's it's been great so far. I was sitting there studying your model. Uh, you sent it earlier, and I, I'm very impressed with it, actually. Uh, one question for you. If you had to reflect on the uh, this performance improvement model that you're trying to infuse into your organization, if you had to reflect and say, a year from now, if this one thing was significantly improved, whether that be uh, how your group operates or whether that be how your model is deployed, what would be what would be one thing that if you had a magic wand, you, you would say, wow, if we can do this, this will have a significant impact on patient health. 
Oh, that's a good question. Skip, you put her on the spot. Right. Well, listen, that's a, that's a Jake Lancaster kind of question. Yeah, it is. That's true. So, so he, he inspired me. Right. So um, I think to answer that question, if we can promote awareness of what continuous improvement is, that it's not, you know, process improvement is is a seems it's like a project it's a time but continuous improvement is continuously thinking about improving being proactive instead of reactive so if i could help shift people's mindsets and increase the awareness of what uh, continuous improvement is i think that that would be a huge win um because then if we get people to just start thinking differently then we will start to see the changes that we need in healthcare so um you know and you would think you think that sounds easy, right? Like, oh, get them to shift their mindset and think more proactively than re well. You guys Andrew, probably know it's not that easy. <laughs> no, 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 Andrea, you just hit a you just hit a home run with that answer because you know, and and I know Skip, I can just see him smiling. But uh, our Babis management system, you know, we have a little logo, and it's you know, our our Babis colors are blue, and it's a, it's this blue brain you know, a, little, a brain and then it's, you know, over the top, it says, show me your thinking. And yeah, it is right there. And, you know, it's, okay. you know, it's, it's all about getting, getting your thinking right. And think, like you said, thinking about that all the time and, mm -hmm. you know, without the, you know, we can have all the, all the methodology and all the tools and all the systems in place. But if, if you don't have that mindset, as you said, uh, behind it all, it's just it, it you know, it, it's just going to be a flash in the pan. You know, you might you might get a little bit right. of improvement, uh, but it's not going to be sustainable. Absolutely. And if you know, just think about if we have 30,000 associates at MedStar, if we can get 30,000 people to just think about. Process or think about problem solving differently, or just think about maybe I need to call that those people, you know, at the corporate office to help us because we got an issue. If we could get to that level, um, I think it would be amazing the results that we would see. So here's here's another Dr. Jake Lancaster question. Uh oh, uh oh. Is, okay. Uh, you know, uh, I know for myself, and I know for many others, the last 15 months to 16 months of, of this terrible. Uh, virus, um, I have learned a tremendous amount. I've learned a lot about my group. I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about how I think about deploying uh, improvement. And uh, what have been some of the lessons you've learned? Oh, so many. Um, I think one of the things that I've learned is that we can, we can innovate through um, through times of crisis and that actually crisis maybe makes it easier to innovate because we have to. We were, you know, forced to think differently. We were forced to be proactive. We were forced to think ahead. And isn't that exactly what we're asking them to do? We're, we're asking people to be proactive, to think ahead, think about what could happen, be preoccupied with failure, um, you know, in, in all those HRO principles. But I really felt them coming to life in this crisis. Now, don't get me wrong. There's the burnout there. There's the um, all of those other things and people are so sick of change and new information, but there was a willingness to get behind the mission and the goal because one, we, we all knew what the truth true north was and it was just survive the pandemic. And when we all of us were aligned and focused on that and how we're going to do that and improving that um, it was. 
amazing at how fast we were able to innovate and think differently and make process changes. Um, whereas, you know, in the normal you know, business as usual, you got to go to this committee and that's got to get approved by this committee. And then we got to circle back because somebody didn't like 1 of the words and, but it, it's amazing when you cut all that out, how quickly you can actually make um, real change and improvements. And I, was... no. <laughs> I know. Yes. Amen. Uh, you know, we did so much so quickly and, you know, 1 of 1 of not, not only my fear fears, but a lot of people's fears that. We're just going to go back to our, our old ways and we're going to forget, forget how much we were able to do. I mean, we were meeting daily. We were changing things constantly. No, this isn't working. We're going to, you know, how, you know, how are we going to screen patients when they come in? How are we going to screen visitors? And, and I mean, it was just continuously a continuous PDSA almost every day. Right? But yes, we, we accomplished a lot. And it's, I think it's really important. One of the things that our team did was um, they went back and highlighted, like, look at all the, look at everything that we did. So we highlighted the value. I mean, we kind of use this to, to show our value proposition to say, look at this, look at all of the things that we were able to do during this time of crisis when we were taxed, stretched, burnout, but look at how we did. And imagine a world post pandemic that we are able to continue with these structures and processes in place in this rapid, um, you know, rapid innovation, rapid improvement. And, and what does that look like? So we're now starting to set up kind of, okay, what's this post pandemic world going to look like it within our system and how do we maintain those things that went really well? Um, and then how do we look at, you know, some of the things that we were doing that just don't make sense anymore that we don't need to continue. So I think the number one lesson learned and one of the things that I've appreciated through the pandemic is that that mindset of, well, this is just the way we've always done it was out the door because we cannot continue to operate the way we've always operated. We won't make it. That's right. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for coming on. I could talk to you for hours and, and hopefully when this pandemic is way behind us, uh, maybe Dr. Mason and Dr. Lancaster and I could come up and visit you sometime in Baltimore and, and eat some crab cakes up there. And I, I just work. love your passion. I love your enthusiasm. I, I hope that you'll come back on the podcast again. I love your model. I love your improvement model. I was uh, sitting there studying it uh, even while you and Dr. Mason were uh, talking. I thought, oh, wait a second, they might call on me. So I, I, can't, you know, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to make sure I paid attention again. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for spending the day with us. And we just greatly appreciate you. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for the opportunity. And I look forward to connecting with y'all in the future. Yeah, thank you very much. Awesome.